Hello there, our dear listeners. Welcome to the HSK Student Pod. This is Richard, your host from the HSK ATEC team. Thank you for joining us on episode 34 of the HSK Student Pod. It's a pleasure to have you as one of our listeners. I hope you are all fine. As usual, I have a special guest for you who are going to share wonderful messages with us, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 34 of the HSK Student Pod. Hopefully, like me, you're enjoying the change in weather and seeing spring and summer across the campus. So we're seeing much nicer days now, aren't we? So please take some time to have a break in your day and get out and spend some time in green space just to really help your well-being. So take a walk around the campus or just step into your garden or, or outside just to have that occasional break. We've got a couple of messages in today's pod, and the first one is just a moment with SAS. And Shipper from the SAS team gives an update on the services that the team has on offer over the next few weeks. She also shares a short message about what the SAS team will be doing to support students who are resubmitting, including giving tips on resubmission. So please do listen to that if that does impact you. Then the second segment is a interview by myself with Russell George, one of the careers and employment consultants. Now, Russell has been with the careers team for a little while, but he's going to step in to support us here in HSK. And he gives us a message that tells us a little bit more about the advice and support that the careers and employment service can offer to HSK. There's a lot of really good support that they can offer from everything to looking at application forms with you, supporting you with your personal statement through to interview practice and advice about how to negotiate or how to look for the job that's right for you. So please take a listen to that. All right, hopefully you will enjoy today's podcast. And if you've got any suggestions for what you'd like to see included in future episodes, then please do let us know. Thank you. Bye. Welcome to Just a Moment with SAS, where you can receive study tips and advice, listen to interviews with our special guests, and receive updates on what's going on in the SAS team. I am your host, Shipa Begum, one of the tutors from the Student Success and Academic Support Team, also known as the SAS team. 
Today, I would like to share with you on how to prepare for resubmissions in the upcoming weeks. But before that, I would like to provide you with some updates on what the SAS team has planned for you for this month. The SAS team will be delivering one-to-one resubmission drop-ins for students who are specifically resubmitting assignments. This is your chance to bring your feedback or draft assignments to the one-to-one drop-ins and receive guidance. The drop-ins are scheduled for Wednesday 14th and 21st of June from 12.30 to 1.30. The one-to-one drop-ins will be running hybrid, which means that if you are on campus, you can attend in person. And if you are off campus, you can access via Zoom. The Zoom link and the on-campus drop-in location can be found on our website. We are also running our generic drop-ins, so if you are not resubmitting but would like to speak to us about your assessments, then please attend our one-to-one drop-ins or book an appointment. We have also planned two workshops on understanding your feedback. This is your opportunity to understand your feedback, but also learn what you can do to improve. The workshop will be delivered twice online. The Zoom link for the workshops can again be found on our website. Please have a look for more information. Also, to attend the drop-ins and the workshops, you do not need to book. Now, moving on to the second part of the segment, I do still want to stick to the theme of resubmission of assignments. Therefore, I want to advise you on what you can do if you are expected to resubmit. First of all, take a break. I know it can be difficult to receive feedback that you did not expect to receive in the first place. So it's really important that you take that short, brief break from the assignment and do something that you enjoy just to kind of divert your attention. Now, that might be a hobby or something that you enjoy doing. Then when you are ready, you can then address the feedback. Second point is to acknowledge the strengths. Now, sometimes what happens is that we look at the score or the grade and we get disheartened and we ignore the comments. And sometimes in the comments, there are some strengths that the marker has highlighted, which we often ignore because we're so focused on the grade and the mark. So it's really important that you read through the feedback and acknowledge where you have done something correctly. Now, that might be the referencing, something as simple as that, but it's good for your motivation. It helps you to understand that you haven't done everything wrong, but there are also skills that you have demonstrated that are your strengths in that particular assessment, which you can then continue to improve upon. So it's really important that you acknowledge your strengths for the sake of being motivated. Thirdly, create an action plan. Now, to create an action plan, you first need to identify the areas that you need to improve on. And you also need to identify what kind of support there is available to kind of help you to become better in those areas. So you may want to contact the SAS team and find out, you know, how the SAS team, how we can help you with addressing your feedback. You may want to speak to your lecturer if there is something that you don't understand in terms of the subject itself. You may want to attend SAS workshops to understand certain areas that have been highlighted in your feedback. So again, it's really important that you create an action plan 
in order to understand what you need to do next in order to improve. Now, fourthly, I know it can be very demotivating, but you need to get started. You need to start working on your assignment as soon as you can. And that's possible for you to do. If you leave it to the last minute, it will just make you feel more anxious and you will be more stressed and more likely you will probably make the same mistakes. So it's really important that you get started as early as you can. So start planning your assignment, start thinking about when your deadline is and what needs to be done before your deadline and break down the tasks. So break them into smaller chunks and reward yourself after reaching a small milestone. Now that might be a small treat or whatever, but it's really, really important that you start your assignment early so that you can address the feedback and make sure that you are not making the same mistakes again. And my final advice is when you are planning your assignment, factor in time for proofreading. Now, I don't know what to say, but proofreading is so, so important. And it's it's a shame that we don't give ourselves enough time to proofread. And I, I, I'm guilty of that myself as well. So it's really important that you proofread because sometimes small subtle mistakes that we over, you know overlook can be addressed if we had proofread our assignments properly so when you are planning your assignments try to finish your draft or finish your final assessment 2 weeks before the submission date and give yourself a couple of days break and then come back to the assignment so that you can start proofreading Proofreading doesn't take that long to do. Give yourself an hour a day just to proofread, let's say, a section or a couple of paragraphs or, let's say, just a reference list. Give yourself the time to proofread. It's really, really important. As I said, it can really make a difference to your marks. Self-evaluate your work. So as part of your proofreading strategy, you may want to look at the marking criteria that your lecturer or the marker will be using to assess your work and look at that and try to self-evaluate your work. What kind of mark would you give yourself? What parts of the uh, marking criteria do you think you have addressed and which ones you haven't addressed? What could you do in those last two weeks to improve in those areas in order to get the highest mark possible? So self-evaluate, reflect on your work, think about honestly what kind of mark you would give yourself. There are two videos that I have produced and which you can access from the SAS workshop timetable on our website. And both of these videos are on proofreading. One is on proofreading for language and the second is on proofreading for criticality. And it's really important and I would highly recommend that if proofreading is an area that you want to improve on, then definitely watch those videos. Both videos provide you with things that you could do, quick fixes that can really improve your assignment for criticality and for language. So we look at proofreading errors in language that you can quickly fix. Also for criticality, what could you do that can quickly fix your assignment so that you gain those extra marks for criticality? So do have a look at those videos as well. So there you go. You have my five tips for getting ready for your resubmissions. If you would like to contact us as usual, please send us an email on hsk.skills at hearts.ac.uk. If you have any suggestion for content that you would like me to cover, again, send us an email 
and I will try to factor that in. Now, if you like the content on the HSK podcast, please like and leave a comment. And this is all from me today. Until next time, have a lovely day and be kind to yourself. Welcome to the HSK Student Pod. And today we've got Russell George joining us from the Careers Office. So, Russell, please, can you tell us a little bit about your role within the Career Service? Thank you, Laura, and thanks for inviting me on to the pod today. Hello, everyone. My name is Russell, and I'm a careers development consultant in the careers and employability team. We're the department within that team, which kind of does a little bit more work with the students. So we're the student facing, doing one-to-one appointments, group workshops in all of the academic schools and offering the central program of activities that the careers and employment team puts on, which you can book as students to attend as well. So that's my role with the career service alongside my colleagues who are helping students uh, organize placements and other teams, which are also then doing the more kind of employer facing, getting employers to come and work with the university, visit the university, attend job fairs and all of the other events that we're putting on as well. Those are the other departments within the careers and employment team that I work alongside. That's great. Thank you, Russell. And I think some of our students wonder, how can the careers service help them? All of our students are on professional courses that lead to registration, so they know where they want to go in their career. They know what jobs are open to them. So what can you offer for our students in particular in HSK? Yeah, that's right. It's the kind that kind of vocationally minded courses, which are offer that registration opportunity and are directly linked to those kind of careers. It can be sometimes the students there are thinking, what can a career service kind of offer me? What's the benefit of getting involved or being aware of what that of the career service the university is putting on? So to be clear, we're a whole career journey service. We can support students and graduates for every stage of their career exploration, job search, career, uh, job application, different stages of the recruitment process, be those interviews, assessment days, um, online kind of tests or video interviews, which can be sometimes part of the recruitment process these days. And we can also do appointments and have sessions where we're talking about career progression. So we work with graduates, all of the services I'm going to talk about today, the online resources, the appointments you can book, You can access both as students and graduates for four years after you graduate and leave UH. So we do a lot of services. We do a lot of appointments where we're talking to graduates as well, talking about their career progression. Where are they going to use their experience? If they've been offered promotion opportunities, how can they build themselves up, prepare for those kind of opportunities, push themselves forward? Sometimes overcome that kind of feeling of imposter syndrome, where perhaps you've not been in a role for a long time and already there's the chance of progression. There's already the chance of really forging ahead in that particular industry or career area. So we do speak to a lot of graduates about the decisions they feel they have to make in that kind of time as well. So HSK students can come to us to access all of that help and support wherever they are in their kind of career exploration. We don't want to assume anything from any students or graduates, no matter what course they've been on. There may be certain students in some areas where they're on a particular very vocationally aligned and targeted course, but they're thinking of going another way. They're thinking of maybe doing some further study in a different area. We have those conversations a lot regularly as well. So we'll never ever 
assume or take it as for granted that just because you studied this, this is what you want to go work in. But we know it is kind of the common case for a lot of students in HSK. And so even in that journey, there are opportunities where may come and get in advice, guidance and using the services that the careers and employment team can offer you can still give you a little bit of help and support and give your chances a bit of a rocket boost as you move through the options you have in front of you. Thank you, Russell. That's a great point that while students might be on a particular course, actually their career might take them in a different path, mightn't it? So that's useful that the, the service can support with that. From a really practical point of view, if students comes to say to you, I've got this interview for this physiotherapy post, do you offer mock interviews or interview advice? Absolutely. And that's, there's different ways that students can access that. Some students and graduates like to use our online resources that we have, which offer lots of help and advice for interviews. So we have lots of videos on the website, hearts.ac.uk forward slash careers. But we also have a really handy little tool called Interview360, which is an online video interview tool, which allows you to go in and basically set up the whole interview that the recorded videos are then going to ask you. So you can set up question by question if you want to, if there's certain questions which you think are likely to come up in an interview, or perhaps there's questions which you've had in past interviews, which have caused you a little bit of problem, a bit of trickiness, or you're unsure about you can put those into the interview, build the whole interview on your device, press play or run through the video. We'll then ask you those questions, give you space on your device, use your device's camera to see how you're getting on with your answers to those and practice those. So that could be something, the one resource that students use to practice in uh, mock interviews or prepare for an interview. And then the other route is to book an appointment with us as a careers development advisor. And you can do that through Handshake which again, you can access through hearts.ac.uk forward slash careers or just by downloading the Handshake app and using your single sign-on to log in there. And then you can book an appointment with one of the team, pick mock interview as, as the option for the appointment. And then when you're booking that appointment, if you can, just give us a bit of detail about what the role is you're applying for. If possible, sometimes it's good to put the link to the actual role if it's still live online. And then we'll prepare before the appointment which can be a face-to-face appointment, can be a video, can be phone, whichever you'd prefer. Uh, we prepare for that and then lead you through the mock interview. So when you then in the real live interview, hopefully you feel a bit more prepared, a bit more practiced of your answers and a bit more thought out of what you're going to deliver and get a better result and have a better experience on the day. That's fantastic. Thank you. So hopefully students will make use of that because that sounds a really useful service. And interviews are something that people often do feel a bit daunted by. Have you got any top tips for interviews for our students? Yeah, interviews can be a really different experiences these days because it can cover such a wide range of uh, different modes and methods of interviews. As I mentioned earlier with video interviews, recorded video interviews are quite popular now in different types of industries and can be quite stressful for students because you can just be talking into your device. There's no one at the other end. You're not reading any body language cues. You're not getting any feedback on how you're doing. You might be on a time limit for the answers you're giving. And if for some businesses and organizations, these are quite a cost-effective way or at the different stages of the recruitment process, if they're getting a lot of applications to put on video interviews. So 
there's also phone interviews. There's also panel interviews face-to-face. There's also interviews over Zoom these days where you are speaking live to someone. So there's different modes. There's different methods of interview, which can each have their own challenges, but each have their own opportunities and ways of connecting with the employer and the people you're speaking to. So I would say across all of those types of interview, my top tip is not to try and have a kind of method where you're preparing the interview and thinking of every possible question the employer might ask you, because all that might lead you to do is try to think of lots and lots of different answers, which is going to be really confusing for you to remember and a lot to kind of stress and have heavy on your shoulders as you go in to that that face-to-face interview or turn on your device for your video interview or pick up the phone for the phone interview. My kind of general kind of advice would be to think of it from the other end of the lens and think of that when you've made the application, be that CV or, or your NHS application form, and you've completed that personal statement and written your examples of when you've used those skills that you think the job is asking for, and you think the employer is outlined on that person specification, that job advert, to read back over those and think about how you can use those stories, perhaps with other stories, examples of your top achievements when you've really succeeded and achieved a positive outcome, achieved a great result, showing relevant skills, how you can tell that story in that tried and tested, it is a bit of a cliche, but it's a cliche because it works, that STAR, S-T-A-R format, where you run through in your example the situation you were in at the time, the task that you were trying to achieve, the actions or activity of how you then went about it, and then the result that you achieve from doing that. And if you're able to prepare four or five, maybe six examples using that format, that structure, when the questions come on the day, you've got those stories ready to pull out, ready to tell, ready for you to select which story have you got that you've prepared is the best fit the question that's being asked. And then you're more practiced in how to deliver the story in an impactful, coherent way, which lands with the employer. And working on that kind of basis of thinking, what are my stories? How can I prepare them using that structure? Allows you, I think, to be better prepared to deliver those on the day, rather than thinking of what are the questions going to be? how many stories do I need or how many, what my answers for each and every possible question. It's better to be thinking of maybe a slightly fewer kind of things that you're prepared with and thinking of your stories and your examples and working on the structure first is going to mean that you, I think, perform and deliver better on the day because then your examples that you're given, like I said, can be more coherent. You're not going to talk yourself into a cul-de-sac. You're not going to finish on kind of a weak sort of ongoing kind of finish to a story where you're just kind of thinking, what should I say? How do I finish this? Where should I go? You've thought about how you're going to finish strongly on a result, the outcome at the end of that story. And that then means that you deliver with a lot more impact and a lot more successfully in the moment. So use that STAR structure to format your stories. Just think about it for five or maybe four, five, six examples. And on the day, your, your decision comes. How is the question being asked? What skill is the question looking at? What competency is it referring to? Which of my stories best matches that competency? I'm going to pull that out of my story toolbox, deliver that story that I've practiced, 
and then be ready for the next question. Thank you, Russell. That STAR is really useful. I've not heard of that one before, but that's a really useful way of thinking about interviews. Thank you. Sometimes our students wonder about how to negotiate in interviews. So they've got, they've seen a job they're really interested in, but it's full time. And actually they might want part time or might need more flexible working. Well, how can they manage that? And is that something they can do at interview or once they've received a job offer? That is something that, yeah, absolutely can be done at either of those points of the kind of job search or job offer journey. It can depend on how the conversation is structured and how it's gone in the room, whether you feel comfortable to have that kind of exploratory questions at the end of an interview or a later stage, perhaps away from the interview, then the employer's coming to you with an offer and you feel over email or over the phone, then you want to ask those questions. There's a decision to be made there just on how you feel in the room on the day in the interview. But either stage of that process, what you've done before then you've got the employer interested. You've got the employer to a stage where they feel you're going to be a great fit for this position and that they want to offer you the role. Now, any employer that's got to that stage has already invested a lot in their recruitment process. It takes a lot for an employer to actually hire someone these days. They've got the budget approval that's taken a long time to put the job advert out. The job advert's out, been out for a period of time for people to apply. Then there's another period of time where they go through the recruitment process. Then when they make an offer to someone, there's perhaps a period of time for people to have to work their notice or perhaps wait until they leave education. So for an employer to actually hire someone these days, it's a good two, three month, four month process when they're actually before they're actually getting someone to start. So when they make an offer to someone, They want that person because they've invested a lot of time in that recruitment process. So if you're in that position and you feel there are opportunities where you perhaps like the job to be a little bit more flexible around some of the other commitments you have outside of work, or you perhaps think that compared to other jobs that you've looked at and you've researched, there are responsibilities and duties in this role, which perhaps make it a slightly more senior or a role with perhaps more expectation. And compared to other roles of a similar nature, the pay perhaps isn't of the same level or the reimbursement is not of the same level. Then perhaps you feel more emboldened to actually then ask, well, is there a chance of, would it be possible? I'm really interested in this role. I'd love to take this opportunity. There's just this issue which would really help me with my decision. Those kinds of ways where you're expressing that you're interested, you know the employer is interested in you because they're making the offer. You're saying you really want to do it, but is there the possibility of taking a look at this? And that's a perfectly reasonable thing to ask. As long as you ask it in that professional way, in either in the room at the end of an interview or responding to the offer by email or phone, asking it in that professional way, using that professional language, employers are happy to take those kind of requests and think is that that's part of the process. They know that that's part of the process of offering a role that for many times there's maybe specific things with a particular candidate that just need to be put in place, changed or altered, uh, that they can then see and talk to line management, HR teams, budget holders to see if there is that kind of flexibility. Now, of course, you want your requests to be reasonable. You want your requests not be too outlandish that it's going to make you 
an immediate kind of, well, cause a doubt in their mind. So your requests should be based in research. They should be based in, well, I've seen this kind of pay award for these sort of responsibilities at other trusts, for example, or in other jobs which I've seen advertised. I've seen these kind of working practices offered uh, in other trusts, in other jobs around the same sort of band, the same sort of seniority level. So when you're on your job search, make sure that you're using to help you in this process, to help you at that stage when you're in your, in your job search, you'll be using all the resources you can, HSKs, uh, students, examples, you know, you can be using the track jobs, the NHS job website to make sure you're seeing as many vacancies as possible that are in the sort of area that you're of interest, the area of work that you want to work in. So you might have read and skimmed over and scanned a lot of job descriptions, a lot of person specifications. And it's that research, that knowledge, which will help you make those requests, which are much then are more kind of likely to find an acceptable and an agreement with the employer. Thank you. It's a two-way conversation, isn't it? See if the employer is a good fit for you as well, as much as whether you are a good fit for their team. So yes, it's worth. Yeah, abso- absolutely. And you know, if everyone's going through a job application process because they want a job, but you are also in that process taking kind of hints and getting a bit of an understanding about this organisation that applying to. And so if there are points during your application process where you're finding it hard to get a response from an organization, or you feel you've made a reasonable request for adjustments in the interview or adjustments in the recruitment process because of your own specific needs, and those haven't been met, you know, there are clues and kind of hints coming from the employer as you go through this process as to whether they're an employer that's right for you and someone you want to go work for, you feel motivated to go work for as well. So that's absolutely part of that two-way conversation you're talking about, Laura. Excellent. Thank you. And sometimes we have students who are applying for two or three jobs at the same time and um, might want to wait to see the outcome of the other interviews before giving a definite answer. How do they go about that sort of process without putting one employer off? That's also kind of a good question. Because um, what a nice place to be in where you feel that you've uh, perhaps got a couple of offers on the table. There's always kind of time limits that you're working against in that situation. Again, an employer, when they go through that interview process with you, hopefully as part of that interview process, they'll explain to you, this is our timetable forward. We would like to make offers by this point. We'd like to have a decision by this point. We'd like to appoint by this point. So they are being clear and transparent with you of what the kind of uh, time that they're working towards. And know that's where they're coming from. And a lot of those, and then so those dates can sometimes be negotiable, just like the pay, just like perhaps some of the working practices and the working requirements. Some of those can be negotiable. There's, you know, perhaps if you've got like holiday booked or something like that, of course, it's reasonable for you to ask, is it possible to push the start back to a certain time or change these kind of aspects depending on your own personal circumstances? But if you do have other offers or you're waiting for other offers, the best thing to be is to be open and honest and transparent. The best thing to be is to say, well, again, this is a role which really interests me. I'm really damn keen for this. Would it be possible just to delay when I'm going to give you my answer by three or four working days? 
is that possible? Because I'm waiting for another response from another role, which I've also got for an interview for, and I'd just be able to like to have that option. Now, at that stage, you'd hope that most employers, again, they want you, they've gone through that recruitment process. It's a long journey to get to that point. Hope that many of them would say, okay, we'll give you that chance. We'll give you that space. Some maybe won't. I can't guarantee that every employer would come to you and say, yes, sure. Some might say, no, we'd like to stick to our timetable. Please give us an answer. There's always that kind of unknown about what the answer might be. But your best guidance that we can give you to help you in that kind of position is to just be as open and transparent as possible. Still reconfirming your interest in the role. Just explain to them why it is that you want that extra time. Because that's going to help you make the best decision for you and for them. They want a motivated worker at the end of the day. They want a motivated employee. So we would hope and what we see and what employers, employers tell us is that you're more likely to get a positive response in those situations if you kind of follow that kind of process and that kind of guidance. I wouldn't advise you to be kind of subterfuge about it and then kind of undercover about it and say, well, there was some other reason I needed time away. We'll be open and honest about it. Thank you. Yeah, that's always the best approach, isn't it? To to put your cards on the table, I suppose, and say, this, yeah. is, this is what's going on. Yes, absolutely. There's lots of career networking sites, I suppose, LinkedIn, Handshake. How useful do you think these are to our students? Different networking sites, different career sites, yeah, they all offer something different. These days, I'm probably biased because I'm really interested in careers and how people find their, their careers and what it means for a lot of different people. So I'm always going to be someone who says LinkedIn is absolutely worth it for anybody who wants to be involved in a working life and thinking about their, their journey and learning or work and how that's going to infuse and motivate them and the path they're going to find in the future. LinkedIn is absolutely worth it. And these days, how people use LinkedIn and what is on LinkedIn is very different to what it was perhaps five, four or five years ago. So if you have a view of LinkedIn being quite a staid, formal, professional social media, that just really isn't what LinkedIn is anymore. LinkedIn is people using their, still in a professional capacity, but using their full kind of personality, all aspects of their life that they're willing to share and post about in a way that shows their positive capabilities and strengths, which can then overspill and positively impact their professional journey and their professional life. There's a lot on LinkedIn, which is people sharing personal stories these days, what they do in their spare time, their family life, their challenges they're overcoming, perhaps they're involved in charities, perhaps they're involved in other volunteering work. And all of these things, how all of that builds up to them as a professional person. Mm -hmm. So I would absolutely encourage people to use LinkedIn to be aware of how they can market themselves as a positive professional person, because all employers tell us that, yes, they, if they're looking at applicants on LinkedIn, they absolutely take a lot from not just that person having an up-to-date profile, like the online CV section, but also they can see that person, that applicant, 
using LinkedIn in a positive, warm way. They like to see people being congratulatory of other people in the network. Small posts where you're saying, well done on this success to other people that are posting about exam results or a particular assignment that went well, or they went for a job and got it, or they got promotion. If you're commenting on, on your networks, on your colleagues and peers, posts and giving that warm, professional, congratulatory sort of comments. Employers can take a lot of positive connotations when they look at those. LinkedIn can also be really valuable for students from HSK to follow groups, follow organizations, follow uh, the NHS trusts or other other organizations who are posting news and posting updates into their feed. Because it allows you to have an understanding of what the trusts or what the organizations or businesses are talking about. So when you are there applying for roles with an organization, you can start to talk about what it is they do and how they do it and what challenges they're talking about or facing or what successes they want to talk about. You can include those in your applications or your interviews answers and talk from a position of more knowledge, more commercial awareness about what they do and how they go about it. And that helps you you appear to that employer as a more kind of work-ready and informed employer because you're able to talk about the industry, you're able to talk about the sector, and you're able to talk about them as an organization from a much more informed place. So LinkedIn can be really helpful for just keeping up to date with stuff for just like five minutes a day, a couple of times a week, maybe just scrolling through feeds on your phone. As long as you're following those kind of organizations in your field, registration bodies, perhaps in your field, unions, anyone that's playing a part in putting out news, keeping up with sector changes, policy, successes, challenges, awareness of what's going on in your particular area will help you make you appear a more work-ready, knowledgeable, commercially aware applicant. That's great. Thank you, Russell. And it doesn't take long to set up a profile or anything, does it? So we'd really encourage all students to, to give that a go. And, and you can use it as part of your Go Hearts Award. So do think about these sorts of things. So it all adds to employability. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our students about jobs or anything to do with the careers service before we finish up? Just to say and reconfirm, really, to make the most of the full careers enterprise service while you're a student and for that four years after you graduate, do take a look at the online resources at hearts.ac.uk forward slash careers. See how we can help you at various stages of your recruitment journey. We generally have students and graduates who will come to us for each and every job application they're making. They're about to send their personal statement off or add it to that application and they just want a read over before they click send. And we, we, we do that for them in appointments. They drop into the careers studio on the Hutton Hub or they approach the stand that's on de Havilland campus in the atrium just to ask for a, a quick five-minute question about what should I do with on my CV? Should I format this or format that? Or can I book an appointment or this is the, the interview email that I've got? What should I do to prepare? Just those five quick minute questions you can come and ask if you just drop in as well. So there's loads of ways of getting involved and getting in touch with the career service. So I would just always encourage people to do that and make the most of those opportunities. The other 
resource which I haven't mentioned, which I'll just highlight as well is coming on just from the LinkedIn point is as a student and graduate, this one is for two years after you graduate, you have access to a bit of LinkedIn called LinkedIn Learning for Hearts students and graduates. And that is a bit of LinkedIn, which has lots of helpful courses, short courses, videos that will help you in all aspects of work, basically. So if you're someone who's a little bit unsure about your presentation skills and you think you might want a bit of help and advice about how to improve presentation skills, there will be some great LinkedIn courses that you can access to improve those skills. If you're someone that's thinking, oh, I'm pretty good with IT, but my Excel is terrible. I need to improve my Excel skills. There's some really great courses that you can run on LinkedIn Learning to help you with your Excel skills. So there are those kind of short kind of employability booster type things that you can be doing as well. You can find out how to access that by just searching on Ask Hearts. Just search for LinkedIn Learning and it will tell you, the page on Ask Hearts tells you how to just activate that on your LinkedIn account. And as I say, you can use that part of the site while you're a student at UH but for them for two years after you graduate as well. That's great. Thank you, Russell. I, I didn't know about that part of LinkedIn, so that's been really useful to find out more about, and hopefully that's helped some of our students. So thank you ever so much. I know you're coming into some programmes to do some work with programmes and students around some of these careers advice that you've been telling us today. So I'm sure the students will look forward to meeting you. And hopefully lots of people will take you up on the offer of the career service and will come to see what you have available because that's been really useful to find out more about that today. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. I wish to thank all our guests in this episode. Shipper, thank you for sharing those very good tips on resubmission and for letting us know about what the SAS team will be doing to support our students who are resubmitting. Dear student listeners, especially those who may be resubmitting or need some help in the pending assignments, as the Shipper mentioned, please do get in touch with the SAS team. They are here to help you. But please do not leave it to the last minute as this team is often very busy so they may really not be able to help you if you leave it to the last minute. Russell, thank you so much for the useful information you have shared with our listeners today. Indeed, it's a very informative message. I'm sure our student listeners are going to take on your key message and make use of the various services the careers and the employment team has on offer such as uh, making use of uh, that professional guidance from your team when preparing for those uh, job interviews, including making use of those uh, wonderful resources, such as uh, the Interview 360 resource and uh, the LinkedIn training resources. Dear HSK Strimple listeners, as uh, mentioned by Russell, I hope you are now more aware of what uh, the careers and the employment team can do for you during your time here at the University of Hertfordshire, including when you finish your course. Also hope you now know where the careers and employment team are based and how you can get in touch with them. 
Thank you, Laura, our associate dean for learning and teaching us with the experience. Thank you for interviewing Russell and for your contribution to this episode. As we come to the end of this podcast, I just need to say it's been a pleasure to have you as one of our listeners. Please do get in touch if you wish to be part of an episode or have an idea of what you want us to cover in future episodes. Dear HSK Streampod listeners, look after yourselves and your loved ones. I wish you all good luck in all those tasks you are undertaking, whether you are a student or a staff member. Those in their final year, definitely good luck in those last assignments, exams or placements. Wish you good luck to do those final touches. Dear HSK Streampod listeners, I hope everything you do in June goes well for you. Thank you for joining us and for being part of this episode. Bye-bye from Richard, your host, and join us in our next HSK Student Pod, which will have something fresh and new to listen to.